Booty, the Fight Seriously podcast. Colorectal cancer patients are often faced with circumstances related to their disease that aren't openly discussed. In Tabooty, the Fight CRC podcast, we delve into those topics that are sometimes considered controversial, trending, or just plain interesting. Listen in as we talk to experts, patients, and caregivers who provide accurate, real, and practical information for cancer survivors. It's time for us to bring these issues to light. Listen in from anywhere, from your car to the chemo chair. To suggest a podcast topic, email answers at fightcrc.org. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Tabuti Podcast. My name is Sharon, and I'm part of the Fight Colorectal Cancer Team. And today I'm excited to welcome Ashley Glode to the podcast. She is a pharmacist and assistant professor at the Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. Hi, Dr. Glode. Hey, Sharon. So today we're here to talk about medical cannabis or medical marijuana. And Ashley, I was hoping you could kick us off by talking a little bit about the work that you do as it relates to medical marijuana and the work in general as it relates to your work as a pharmacist. Yeah, so here at the University of Colorado, I work in the Phase One Clinical Trial Cancer Center and also with uh, primarily GI cancer patients. And through that, I've met a lot of patients who use marijuana both recreationally and for medical use um, since it is legal for both reasons in the state of Colorado. Some of our providers have kind of embraced this. Some are a little bit more hesitant. So some of my recent research has been looking at provider comfort level with discussing medical marijuana with patients and kind of what are their concerns to talking about it. So, Wow, super interesting. Um, what kinds of things have you heard about from the providers in terms of their com- comfort level? Yeah, a lot of our prescribers um, are mostly concerned about kind of drug-drug interactions and potential to either make the cancer therapy less effective or maybe make side effects worse. And that's kind of a common theme among the pharmacists and the prescribers. And then some of our nurses um, reported they're just not as knowledgeable, so they're not really sure what to even say to patients. And I think that's a reflection of potentially schooling that it really hasn't been talked about in our medical education until more recently when it's kind of been approved by more states. So I want to talk about those drug interactions in a moment. But first, would you be able to clarify some terminology for us? We hear the difference between medical marijuana versus recreational, and then we also hear the terms THC and CBD. Um, Can you explain those things? Yeah. Um, So marijuana is technically the plant that's dried and crushed and includes the flowers and the leaves. And it comes in two varieties, either cannabis sativa or cannabis indica. Um, And those two different varieties have different kind of uses. So the sativa is more kind of the sedating, helps with sleep, kind of that chill out feeling, whereas the indica can be a little bit more activating. Patients may prefer one kind of brand or, if you will, the sativa or the indica over another based on kind of the side effects or their use. And then THC is um, the tetrahydrocannabinol, and that's what's producing the high, whereas this cannabidiol or CBD is 
the component that's really having the more beneficial effects without those psychotropic or high effects. So marijuana has both the THC and the CBD component. When patients get medical marijuana, they tend to get more of the CBD component in their product versus if it's recreational, it tends to have more THC. But um, dispensaries can really maximize the effects of one over the other and provide different strains that may be more beneficial to a patient. Super interesting. And, you know, there's the kind of outdated stereotype of someone super high, lazy, smoking joints all day. And maybe this is a stereotype that's shifting as more people start to use cannabis openly and the laws begin to change. Um, Also, the ability to select what's in your marijuana. So, you know, choosing more CBD versus THC um, seems to be a good way for people to have more control over what's going on and, and what they're using. Yeah, that's correct. And also it comes in different forms. So you're but traditionally the taboo form we're thinking about smoking joints, whereas with medical marijuana, um, and even recreational now it comes in edible forms, it also comes in topical forms. So if a patient, for instance, has like a joint uh, an achy knee joint, they can just put a topical C B D compound on that. And it's really not giving them that high feeling, it's just providing pain relief to that local area. So are there any other maybe medical reasons why the use of cannabis has been so taboo? Um, I think a lot of it from like the healthcare provider standpoint and maybe even the patient standpoint is comes down to the fact that it's still federally illegal. So the FDA considers marijuana as a schedule one substance, which means that it has no medical purpose and high potential for being an addictive substance. So states have kind of tried to decriminalize it by letting it be approved and used in medical purposes. But from the federal perspective, it's still technically illegal. So that kind of puts that taboo or that hesitancy in recommending it to patients. Ashley, can you expand on that in terms of state laws and how a patient might actually get access to medical marijuana? Yeah, so each state that's approved um, medical marijuana use, and that's about over half of them now, including the District of Columbia, they have their own state regulations. Um, typically, it's that it can't be prescribed because it's still it's still not a, a FDA-approved drug, so it's more that the providers are recommending it and that they're certifying patients that they have an approved condition to receive medical marijuana. So some of the more commonly approved conditions are cancer kind of appetite stimulation, nausea, pain, um, some non-cancer things like multiple sclerosis, HIV, AIDS, um, PTSD. But So as long as a physician or even a PA or NP in some states can certify that patients um, have a qualifying condition, they can get registered. And it's important to get registered in the state. Um, and they're added to a database. Typically, you have to be at least 18 years of age. Um, There are some states that do allow minors with parental consent to be registered. And with that medical marijuana card, you're typically able to get marijuana at either a discount or a tax-free rate. Um, Some dispensaries here will even do one day a month where it is at a significant discount for patients. Also, with the medical card versus recreational use, patients can have a different quantity. Some states allow patients to grow marijuana on their own versus have Um, a product that they're buying or a certain quantity that they're allowed to buy with each visit to a dispensary. 
patient should understand that state laws are different state by state and change on a regular basis. So to know what your state is requiring. Mm -hmm. um, in the state of Washington, for instance, patients, if they're pulled over, they can actually have their blood drawn to test the THC quantity to be um, charged with a DUI. And other states don't allow that. So some of them have certain thresholds in the blood to even say you're driving under the influence. And even your medical card might not help get you out of that legal trouble. Where can someone go to find information about their state laws? Um, so most states, it's on the Department of Public Health website for their state. I find it easier, easiest by just Googling your state name and then medical marijuana laws. Um, here in Colorado, ours even lists what's the most common use, um, number percent of patients by county, um, number of patients who have signed up for a card over a certain quantity of time. So some states have a lot more detail on their website than others. Um, but probably just Googling your state name and the um, medical marijuana use would probably be the easiest way to find it. So for folks that live in a state that uh, doesn't have medical cannabis available. Are there synthetic options available, and are those, you know, comparable? Um, so dronabinol is the FDA-approved Delta 9 THC, and that's been approved for use in um, patients with HIV and AIDS and cancer to help with nausea and appetite stimulation. Um, so that's the closest, and it's actually been studied um, a lot in helping with appetite and pain management and shown that it, it's just as beneficial potentially as marijuana. Okay. How do you see this changing in the future? Do you think there might be a time when medical marijuana is legal nationwide? Um, I, I think that with more and more states approving it, we're definitely going to be able to compile our um, anecdotal evidence um, and more and more, we're seeing more and more CE programs and training programs for providers to um, have a comfort level or be more knowledgeable of these products. Um, the state of Connecticut, uh, Minnesota, and New York, they all allow pharmacists to participate in dispensing medical marijuana. Um, and some of those states have like training programs that pharmacists have to participate in before they're allowed to dispense. So I think we're seeing a higher heightened awareness as well as kind of training requirements put on providers. Very cool. Uh, what a cool program. I mean, I think walking into a dispensary and having a pharmacist there to walk you through the process would make a lot of people feel more comfortable with using medical marijuana. And I think they're probably a little more aware to um, like drug interactions, concerns based on patient conditions too. So I think it's might be a safer approach that other states may consider as they adopt new laws or changes to laws. Yeah. Earlier in our talk, you mentioned the research that you're doing around provider comfort of prescribing or, or recommending medical marijuana. What other kinds of research are going on in the field um, as it relates to maybe benefits or, um, you know, therapeutic benefits or what, what are people studying, I guess, as it relates to medical marijuana and medical cannabis? Yeah. Um, so for research purposes, there's one dispensary um, that is allowed to dispense marijuana for research and they um, 
the issue with using that dispensary is that it's not the same strains or the potency that patients are getting from dispensaries in the state. Um, so there are studies going on looking at um, more supportive care interventions using that um, approved dispensary, but a lot of the clinicians in, in practice really want to be studying what are our patients using. So a lot of us are doing more surveys of patients and discussing um, interventions with patients more to get a good picture of what's going on currently in our communities versus using a product that may not be equivocal to what patients are using now. That's really interesting, and it sounds like maybe it makes doing research in this field a little more challenging for people. Um, is the dispensary in Colorado? So it's uh, it's an approved dispensary nationwide. It's in the University of Mississippi, um, and they're the only dispensary that's you know FDA approved um, and has a DEA license to be able to dispense medical marijuana for research purposes. On social media threads and in various discussions, we often hear people talking about marijuana as a curative treatment um, for various diseases, um, including cancer. Um, what are your comments on this? I mean, it sounds like the research hasn't been done, but do you hear this often? And what what's your comment on it? I think we don't really have good data to say that it could be a cure for cancer. Um, there are cannabinoid receptors that are, have play a role in our immune system, and with all the immunotherapies that are out to treat cancer, we know that that's a hot topic right now. So I think we will see more research into potential role in treatment of cancer, but the bulk of the research that's been done thus far and kind of what we're seeing in practice is more its role in supportive care, not necessarily as a treatment for cancer. Thank you. Um, that's great information and really good things to know in terms of the use of, of marijuana. I do want to revisit a topic that you brought up earlier, and it was drug interactions. So as a colorectal cancer patient or survivor, what types of questions should be brought to the healthcare provider or to uh, the dispensary? Are there any known drug interactions that um, that people should be aware of at this point? Um, I think it's really important just to tell your provider what you're using, the kind of product, how often. One of our concerns is patients who are smoking marijuana, um, just potential for infections, especially lung infections, because they could potentially have a weakened immune system from their cancer treatment, and having an infection on top of that um, is definitely concerning. And from a drug interaction perspective, we honestly don't know a lot. Um, we do have some data in animals suggesting that there's issues with liver metabolism of the marijuana, and it could impact other drugs that are metabolized through the liver. So some that we worry about are some antidepressants, um, antifungal therapies, potentially even some chemotherapy drugs. Um, but it's really hard for us to know exactly what's going on because of that federal illegal stance where it's hard to be researching this and finding out from more recent clinical trials what drug interaction should we be looking for. Okay, so super important to talk to your healthcare provider about how you are taking the medical marijuana, how often maybe you're taking the marijuana, um, and just to really keep that conversation open with your healthcare provider. Ashley, are there any other points that you think are important to talk about uh, that 
patients and family members, caregivers might find useful as they start to, you know, consider navigating this area? Yeah, I think um, definitely understanding how there's a lot of different strains and a lot of different ways to use it. Um, so really focusing on why do you want to be using it? Is it more you have trouble with sleeping? Is there an uh, issue with pain? Is it nausea or appetite stimulation? And then also just being aware of the fact that a lot of hospitals um, and cancer centers won't let you use it while you're there if they get federal funding or whatever their hospital policy is. So if oh, you're admitted okay. for any reason, you may not be able to continue using your medical marijuana at that point. Oh, interesting. I didn't know that. So you're saying that in a state, for example, Colorado or California, where it is legal, it might not be legal to use marijuana at, when you're at the hospital. Correct. Yeah, there are some states that do have um, policies and are trying to help um, allow it to be used. But because a lot of our hospitals and healthcare systems get federal funding, um, and it's considered illegal, there is that concern that they could lose their funding if they allow this. And that's the same with pers with physicians, that if they get research monies um, from federal grants, that they could lose their grant money if they're found to be recommending it. So that's why some of our physicians um, and pr other providers tend not to want to recommend it. Okay. So it's okay. more the, the concern for punitive damages on the back end. Thank you, Ashley, for a, a, a great conversation. I'm hoping that people listening in are inspired to talk to their doctors and to learn um, and really to do what's best for them and to feel a little more educated on the topic. Yeah, I think it's a, a great topic to be covering and an important one. And I definitely have seen patients who benefit greatly from using it. Thanks for tuning in. Please remember that this information is for educational purposes only and all medical questions should be directed to your healthcare team. For more resources, visit us on the web at fightcolorectalcancer.org.